Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. We are glad you are here this morning at Trinity Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us in worship today. If you're visiting with us, we are especially glad you are here. Let me pray for us as we enter into this sermon moment. God, we thank you for the beautiful sounds and the look, the words of this Advent season approaching Christmas. Thank you for this gift of your son for which we are preparing ourselves these few weeks. Help us, God, speak to our souls, our minds this morning as we contemplate the gift of your son and its meaning for us today. In your name we pray, amen. What would it take for you to believe you were in the middle of one of God's unfolding miracles. I mean, what would it take for you to believe you were in the middle of one of God's great stories, God's great work, that it was unfolding before your very eyes? I mean, when did Abraham understand his life was more than his own, that his life was the story of a people, uh, of a nation. When did Noah understand? He, he was part of this creation-wide, global, creation-changing event. At what point in Moses' life did Moses realize he was set apart for something utterly unique? How often in the desert, was he aware of God's unfolding plan of the long view of what he was going through? The questions for God's people we must answer as we read these great stories, as we read the Christmas story, as we put ourselves in the shoes of those biblical characters, would I have recognized God's master plan at work were I in their shoes? How would I have reacted in that situation if God would have come to me in that day? This is always a question for God's people in our own day. Do we trust God is at work in our life, in our world today? And do our lives show that trust, that we trust God is at work? This type of trust is difficult because it requires living on hope, living on faith that is often almost always in contradiction to the facts, in contradiction to what we see around us. But living in hope that is in contradiction to facts is what God's people do. I mean, after all, it's what we celebrate this time of year. We all are here. We decorate. We are here proclaiming that a baby was born 2,000 plus years ago halfway across the world, in a backwater nowhere of a place, to no one important, and yet somehow because of that and what will result for that, 
everyone who calls on the name of that baby can be forgiven of anything they've done wrong and spend eternity with God. That is hope in contradiction of all that is reasonable and factual in the world. And yet, here we are. Living in hope that is in contradiction to fact is what God's people do. The difficulty, though, of living in hope that is in contradiction of fact means that God have, God's people, one of the results of this, is we have a hard time recognizing God's work God's miracles unfolding before our eyes. Often the big things in the Bible, the big acts in history, God's big acts in history, were only really clearly visible once you looked back upon it and were able to see the story through the lens of time. One story from the gospel illustrates this well. In Luke 4, Jesus had begun his ministry. He had been baptized. He had spent his time being tempted by Satan in the desert. And in our story in Luke 4, Jesus had just returned from this time in the desert. And, and on his way back home, leaving the desert, he, he stops over for a bit in Capernaum. And, and he spends Sabbath there to rest, this day of rest, this day when no work was to be done, when you were to rest and let God be God. You couldn't do anything, even the works of God. Yet he healed people on the Sabbath. He went to the temple, the, the temple and he healed people on the Sabbath. And then he made his way the 50 miles or so, 50 miles plus from Capernaum down to Nazareth. And on the next Sabbath with his people, with his mom, perhaps with his dad, with his brothers, sisters, with the people he grew up with, the people that knew him from the time he was a boy, he enters the temple, or enters the synagogue, rather, on this Sabbath in Nazareth, the Sabbath like hundreds of others. And while there, the leaders of the synagogue come up to Jesus, this young teacher, and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah to read from. Now, at this point, we have to imagine a few things and wonder at a few things. Surely they knew him. Nazareth isn't a big place. He grew up there. Surely they knew him, but what did they know? Did they remember those stories from his birth? Had the story of, of being baptized by John way down south, had, had the story of 50 miles traveled, had the story of the healing in Capernaum traveled 50 miles in those seven days along with them ahead of him? Had they heard some of his teaching? Did they know that he had kind of picked up stake and, and left for a while from home and left his mom and left his brothers and sisters and left probably his career to do something down south? What did they know? So perhaps it's with some questions, maybe with some expectancy that the attendant handed Jesus the scroll and he took the scroll and he found the place that he wanted, which is not an easy task. And finding it, he read these words from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then right in the middle of verse two, he just stops. And he rolled the scroll back up and he handed it back to the attendant. Luke writes that after Jesus spoke these words, all eyes were fastened on him. You see, these were not just any part of Isaiah, not just any place he could have read. These were audacious words for Jesus to read. They were words pregnant with meaning and implication for God's people. God's people had those listening to him and those that have come before much experience with being poor and being prisoners and captives of being oppressed. Jesus' audience that day certainly understood these things. Going back far beyond Jesus' audience, these words were originally spoken by Isaiah. We're going to take a little trip back to Isaiah, all of whose audience and all Isaiah would have been poor and oppressed and brokenhearted. We, we've told the story of exile the last few weeks. Isaiah's hearers and their ancestors had had every promise of God taken from them or, or removed from them by God. Loss of king, loss of land, uh, loss of the temple. And they had been exiled for 70 years. They were back in the land by the time of Isaiah 61, but it was a pale reflection of what they remembered. Uh, it was a shell of its former self, this Jerusalem, filled with people who did not want them there. They rebuilt the walls and the walls were pitiful compared to what had been before. They rebuilt the temple and it just wasn't the same, a pale imitation of the grandeur of the temple before. Though back in the land, it did not flow with milk and honey. They lived impoverished, difficult lives. They were not free, and they were still under the power of a foreign king. So when Isaiah spoke these words, first spoke these words from God to the people, their ears perked up. They listened close to what Isaiah said, that there would someday be someone who would be anointed, created, especially equipped for the purpose to end oppression and free prisoners and heal broken hearts and give sight to the blind and on and on and on the list goes, that this specifically appointed person would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Talk of the year of the Lord's favor was an unfulfilled hope that went back much further even than that 500 years between Isaiah and, and Jesus, much, much further into the history of God's people and the delayed hopes they had. It's what the year of the Lord's favor is what God's people call jubilee. The year of jubilee is described in detail in Leviticus 25. It's described, prescribed, prescribed, not described, prescribed. It's a very important difference for the people of God to follow as part of being God's people. Yet it remained a dream that had never once been fulfilled. Jubilee was a radical prescription that would enable an entire people, an entire society to know justice in their midst, to experience true fairness and equality and to practice love of neighbor and love of God. It was an opportunity for people to show they were God's people and an opportunity for God to show, I am your people and I can provide for you no matter what. It was to happen every 50 years. The rhythm of God's people was this. Every seventh day, they were to Sabbath. 
They were to rest. They were to stop working and remember God is God and they are not. And then every seven years, they were to let their lands grow fallow and have a year of rest. And then every cycle of seven years for the those like me among you that need a calculator to do basic math, that's 49 years, seven times 77, seven times seven, there we go, 49. On that 50th year, that people were to experience jubilee. And again, it's not just a hope. Leviticus 25 goes into a lot of detail and said, this is how this is to be done. This is set down in law as something you are to do. Freedom proclaimed for everyone in the land. Remember, when they settled the land, God gave each family their place to live. Each family had their allotted tribe, their allotted land within the tribe. So every 50 years, Everyone got their land back. If you sold your land or, or lost your land, uh, the cycle stopped and you reverted back to square one, uh, essentially. Again, good news for the poor, difficult news for those who were not. Everything goes back to the way it was when they entered the promised land. Everyone moves back to their original hometown. Uh, no one sows or reaps or works the fields. They were to eat only what grew in the land and trust that God would make enough grow that year to provide for everybody. The land that was sold the last 50 years returned to the original owners. If God's people own debts, um, and, and land that was sold over 50 years was prorated over how many years you were to do it. This was all very clearly spelled out. If God's people owed each other debts, they were to be canceled. If one of God's people had been forced into forced labor or slavery to pay a debt, he was freed. If someone had sold a house during that 50 years, they could buy it back at the, asking, at the selling price, no questions asked. Wild. It was a year where the, the poor stopped getting poorer and the rich didn't keep getting richer. It was a year where the powerless weren't trampled on and the powerful willingly gave up some of their power in order to remind them, to remind them that they served a God, served God above all else. A year where justice was enforced and all were reminded God was the true owner of all we have and all we have is a means of his grace. God was serious about Jubilee. And yet God's people had never been able to pull it off. I mean, in all of those centuries, dozen centuries or more, Jubilee never came to pass. That promise of equality, of grace, of some giving up and some gaining and a leveling of the playing field, equity. It was just too good to be feasible. It was too much in contradiction to the facts around us to be believed. Jubilee required the people to hope and trust far beyond what circumstances said were possible. And it remained for hundreds of years, this great unfulfilled hope that one day there would be one person specially created, specially anointed, specially equipped to bring about the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor was greater in their mind than the promise of heaven. The year of the Lord's favor was their hope. 
So when Isaiah spoke to the people 500 years before Jesus, their ears perked up when he spoke of one who was anointed to do just this. Because if you were poor and oppressed, as Isaiah's hearers were, Jubilee is nothing but good. You stand to lose virtually nothing and gain everything. But you know, you know, the powerful are never going to let this happen. But one who's anointed to do this, well, in that we might can hope. And it was worth hoping in for hundreds of years, all the way down to Jesus' audience, who was also poor and oppressed, who did live in the land and it did not flow with milk and honey, who, who did not have a king, who was under a foreign ruler, who by this point of Jesus' reading of this had been poor and impoverished and, and hungry and oppressed for dozens and dozens of generations, virtually without end. And then one day, on just another Sabbath, like hundreds before, Jesus stood up and he read these words and tapped into this long, unfulfilled hope for his people. Now, now it was customary for when a, a man read from Scripture in synagogue like Jesus did, he would then sit down and offer a bit of commentary. Now, you didn't offer your commentary. You offered commentary of a rabbi or, or some other teacher. You, you didn't offer your thoughts, but someone's thoughts who was greater than you. And, and so it was customary to have something prepared to uh, expostulate on. Is that a word? Expostulate? It's not in the notes. And Jesus read, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, they looked at him to hear his interpretation. What else would he say? And he sat down. Perhaps he waited a breath or two. And he didn't offer commentary. He just said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Not will be fulfilled or one day will be fulfilled or anything else future oriented fully present, is fulfilled in your hearing, is being fulfilled as you listen, as I speak, as we exist. The people looked at one another. They looked at Jesus. Isn't this Joseph's kid? Isn't this the guy that we watched grow up? We wonder what they were thinking. Maybe a little confusion, consternation. Maybe a little excitement by some. They had heard probably that news had traveled the 50 miles that what he had done in Capernaum and perhaps they had dreams of manna of heaven coming down and, and freedom. And again, the, the year of the Lord's favor was a very real and full hope, something they talked about, something they, they wondered about, something they looked for. And so they say, why wait? If it's fulfilled in our hearing, if it is fulfilled now do it, Jesus, do it now, bring it now. Do what you did in Capernaum. Do more than you did in Capernaum. Show us a sign that this is true now, Jesus. But just like Jesus wouldn't be tempted by Satan in the desert, he wouldn't be tempted by the folks he grew up with either. And when he wouldn't provide the fullness of Jubilee to their understanding, that instant, the people he grew up on, grew up around, the people who raised him turned on him viciously. 
and they drove him to a cliff in an attempt to kill him. What would it take for you to believe one of the great works of God was unfolding before your very eyes? It's difficult to believe that God is at work in our world, in our life, in the present moment. It's difficult to trust that what we may be seeing, what we may be hearing, what we may be feeling and experiencing actually might be a work of God. Difficult to believe we, little old us, might be used as part of God's unfolding plan for the redemption of all things that we could participate bodily, physically, in real, reality, realistically, into something so cosmic and universal and wonderful. I wonder where we would have been there on that day in Nazareth. Whether you and I could have beat the odds of the crowd and had eyes to see Jesus for who he was. Or more likely, you and I standing there shouting, missing the moment. But amazingly, as we go back a couple chapters in Luke, There are people who got it. Maybe not fully, but there are people who dared to believe they were in the middle of the drama and had a role to play because God had anointed them so. This young girl, Mary, dared to believe. Behold, I am the servant of God. Let it be to me according to your word. Elizabeth and Zechariah believed. Joseph believed. And others, they found themselves in the center of God's story, found themselves used by God to deliver far more than freedom from debt and getting the family farm back. As great as the idea of Jubilee and the year of God's favor was, what actually came was more than anyone could have hoped for and expected. And through history, this is how the kingdom of God works. God moves in power. It takes us back to Acts this summer. God moves in power and asks little old us, and little old uses like us around the world throughout time, mysteriously to join him in the work and dare to believe and dare to trust beyond anything that is reasonable in spite of all contradictions around us that hope has flooded into the world and we get to be its messengers. Do we trust as Christmas approaches that God is at work in our world today? Do we trust that little old us, little old you and me are being asked to join him in his work? Do we have eyes to see and ears to, ears to hear God's plan for creation, for the redemption of all things unfolding 
all around us. The year of the Lord's favor has come, and it is greater than those throughout hundreds of years of waiting dared to imagine. It is known among us. Forgiveness of sin, everyone uh, who calls on the name of God, on the name of this baby who will be born, forgiven of sins and life with God. Good news beyond reckoning, and we mysteriously get to be its messenger. Will we join him? in this work. Let me pray for us. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, souls to recognize your voice and the movement of your spirit to block out the apparent contradictions in the world, all that gets in the way of peace in the world, all of those very reasonable reasons we have to say the darkness is winning and light is failing. And we block our vision to these things and look first at you, at your light that you bring. And then once we have seen the light, May we shine it as well and eliminate the darkness. Draw us into your great redemptive plan for creation, God. Make us part of it. Give us our role to play. Give us eyes to see how we might participate in the great unfolding of your kingdom, inaugurated through the birth of your son. enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.